Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Dr. Kid, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. I'm still Charlie. That's still Eric. Yes. Uh, we're still talking about Larry Cohen and uh, the second film of the double feature that we just watched, The Stuff. The Stuff. From 1985. Uh, billed as a comedy horror. Which it is um, funny. It is funny. It's it's definitely much more of a comedy than It's Alive ever wanted to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, another, sure. another, just a great, great uh, writing, great ideas. Um Cohen kind of steals from the blob and invasion of the body snatchers, in my opinion, and kind of puts yeah. them together into this uh, thing about a, a white goo that bubbles up from the ground, and <laughs> people start eating it as you do when things like you bubble do, out of the ground. Mystery gunk. It uh, looks like marshmallows or yeah, it looks cool like marshmallow whip or fluff. something, you know. Well, um, so this movie and, uh, you, you uh, mentioned. Uh, think things go bad. Let's just say to bad. start, uh, things go bad when people eat this stuff. I was getting you. So you said invasion of the body snatchers and the blob. I obvi- did v- very, uh, very, very good <laughs> observations. Thank you. Thank I, you. Just get the obvious ones out of the way. Yeah. Well, I noticed they live, and this one predates oh, yeah. they live because it is a total take on American consumerism. Yes. And hundred percent. And just obsessive, addictive culture. Kind of very ahead of its time, and I don't think they ever really get compared to each other, but. America becomes consumed by the stuff. They can't get enough of the stuff, baby. You can't get you enough. You can't get you literally can't That's get enough the of the stuff. Yeah. Uh That's why this stuff is so dangerous. I I've seen this one before. I loved it then. Um like we liked it. We saw it together we maybe saw it at in one a of group. our movie We days, saw it in right? a movie group. And it was like, yeah, that was fun, entertaining. And then yeah, I watched it again last night and it's just it kills. It's just great. It's just a lot of fun. I love the way it's put together. It it opens. It's got the cold open. No credits. You, you open with two like bums. The, the finding lights the stuff. in the theater were still on. Yeah. <laughs> you know they. No like, oh, warning shit, that the thing was starting. starting. Yeah. Uh, they find the stuff. They eat it. Cut to you know six <laughs> months later or a year, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's already in stores. I just I like the idea of like it's, it's already cool, a yeah. thing. I, I don't need to see them making the stuff or pack. Like it's already. A staple in, in American homes. Obviously, the, when the, the movie narrative opens. structure was lifted entirely by "There Will Be Blood." Paul <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, a huge fan of the stuff, where he's like, "Oh, you know, I like how uh, I'm just going to make Plainview just find oil, and then right. we'll skip to to 20 years down the line when he's established." But it's like it doesn't gonna... take 25 minutes in this case. <laughs> like there will be blood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it gets right to it. That's what I, you know, you open more with this, efficient uh, than there will be blood. Yeah, you says op- Charlie. You open with <laughs> that's my take, folks. That's your take. Uh, yeah, you open with a kid uh, who's about 12 years old. And uh, he is the one guy that doesn't like the stuff. Yeah, he's, he's the, the one, one guy. Voice. He's the holdout. Um, everyone loves the stuff. Uh, vegans love it. Yeah, you know, it's kids the, love it's, it. Dogs love it. Everybody's eating the I'm, stuff. I'm for some reason until you started saying that I wasn't getting the Soylent Green mm. uh, comparables. Whereas this is Soylent Green was more overtly billed as the every food for the poor's. Yes, this is like. The hot new product, and everybody can afford it. It's a miracle food. It is, yeah. It, it's uh, directly compared to Coca-Cola. 
in uh-huh. that it's a secret formula that no one knows what's in the stuff, but you're eating it anyways. Yeah, and, uh, but you can't help but have one every and day. And it's, addic- it's obviously addictive. Um, yeah, the scene opens up with this kid going downstairs, and he sees the stuff moving in the fridge at night. <laughs> yeah. And then in one of the most bizarre readings I've seen, the father is uh, comes down and really scolds the kid for being out of his bed. Yeah. I, they don't make it clear why this is a problem, but he acts like this kid has crossed a line i don't know man by being out of his bed at night i'm putting myself in this poor father's shoes who's wearing a classic (laughs) 80s dad robe oh yeah one of those like striped terry cloth numbers looking like a good dad hair's combed man i'm (laughs) never yeah he's up (laughs) well a dad had a great head of hair oh yeah silver fox (laughs) hunky hunky 80s dad good looking dad um (laughs) if i was a dad and i've seen this play out other ways you get so annoyed with your boy. I've been an annoying son, mm-hmm. and you don't know you don't know what's gonna be the thing that sets you off. I, I remember suppose. I remember my dad came home from work one day, and I was just on the roof because I was like thirteen, <laughs> well, thirteen, and I was just like home your during a summer vacation playing Super Nintendo, and then it's one of those dumb kid things where you're like. I bet I could get up on the roof. And so the dad comes home and is just like, he's like, what the hell are you doing on the roof? So I'm picturing this kid just up at 4 a.m. And dad's like, just wandering like, around. dude, what are you doing? But even just then, get up there. even then, I feel like it's pretty clear something's up with the dad. He's he's a little off. He's not. A yeah, normal it wasn't playing guy. it like a dad. It was playing like that was that was weird. That becomes clear. Yeah. Before later we on. get delve too far away from the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. I want to shout out the two bums in the beginning that shout find the stuff. And are eating the stuff within like two seconds of finding it. Mm-hmm. You would not find a wild animal that would take <laughs> that little amount of time to start wolfing found goo. Uh, like a wild raccoon would find something and he'd kind of roll it over in his paws. Mm-hmm. He'd sniff it a bit. This guy dips in two fingers yeah. like he's sneaking a bit of. People, you know, people homemade go whipped cream. Deep on, yeah, they, they go right for he it. He just Fistfuls. dives in with his fist and licks it right away. <laughs> but barely smells it. Just finds, oh, goo, pick up, lick. Yeah, he kind of gives it like a half sniff. And I'm not sure what he thought he was going to smell in that uh-uh. moment. But yeah. I feel like unless it smelled like gasoline, he was going to eat it. Yeah. Like he was he already was convinced. Already like, unless this really smells like a rotten egg, I'm eating this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he like, wanted to eat. No he wanted smell. to eat Let's it. give it a go. Yeah. He was only doing a customary sniff. He was. Like, yeah. he didn't want to look like a total animal. But I honestly, <laughs> you know, it, when my cat finds a piece of string on the ground, you know, it kind of examines it first. Mm-hmm. Way longer than this dude examined ground goop. Oh, my, my dog examines toys it's known its whole life longer yeah. than this guy examined the goop. I can't yeah. believe how quickly they dove into the stuff. <laughs> yeah. People get addicted immediately the stuff well that's what i mean i just loved that we were right into it and it doesn't take 10 minutes of going like hey we have to sell the product to someone and they have to like it's already you're, you're seeing the commercials yeah. uh it's in the stores it's showing you it, like you're living in the world uh with the it's stuff so I just, smart I just and it's love weird that. it's weird to say you know the movie the stuff is really smart, smart but they could have wasted so much time mm-hmm. building up to the stuff being a thing Right. So the fact that the stuff is already a thing within minute one of the yeah. movie. They found it, and then we immediately do a flash forward 
into it being an established presence in yeah. supermarkets. And they do it just so well. I mean, it's just like, yeah, we're on board as the audience. We're not going like, oh, really? They're eating stuff. Really? Like, no, they're all... We get it. Like, they're making it very clear. Yeah. Everyone's on board. Yeah, like you said. And it's treated like a drug addiction. I don't know if it was, for all I know, it, I swear, if this is just a common myth, I can assure you that I didn't look it up and try and search it, but it feels okay. like an 80s cocaine addiction saga oh yeah these people are all just all my friends are addicted to this white stuff they can't stop it you know i know it's killing them but they can't stop them this one kid seeing all his friends become addicted to the white stuff you know there's a uh there's a conspiracy theory that uh, in the 80s coke came out with new coke mm-hmm. it's like a different formula for coca-cola yeah universally hated sure and then they went back to classic coke that's why it's called coca-cola classic coke classic yeah yeah uh the uh, conspiracy theory I heard and love is that they did that on purpose because they were switching over from like uh, real sugar to corn syrup or whatever, and they knew that that change would be too much oh. for the palate. So they give them this radically different tasting thing. Uh, that's a lot of mind fuckery to go into like, promoting <laughs> a drink like a product. But uh, if you're the biggest drink on the planet, then that's yeah. what you're gonna do to sell your product. Tip and that you know, I got a, I got a lot of that, especially when they're like giving you the very direct, like, yeah, it's like Coca Cola, and mm-hmm. uh, you're like, they yeah, were making is. that direct. Uh, that's not a stretch of a conspiracy theory that they wanted to switch to synthetic, you know, or right. corn syrup. So they're like, let's give them something absolute liquid dog shit, and then they'll be begging for anything resembling exactly the classic product. <laughs> I mean, that's that actually is a weirdly intelligent forward <laughs> like, thinking I respect coca-cola yeah, i for respect doing that. big coke thank you you yeah. know good yeah. work guy i had a coca-cola today don't get me wrong I, yeah i yeah i mean historically <laughs> the only conspiracy theory that i believe is that stevie wonder can see that's the <laughs> oh that is the only one that i'm like i didn't need any convincing yeah i, I was just like that guy can see i was like you know what? you're probably right that guy's been working us for like. Oh, someone just kind of. Yeah, some, somebody just casually up. like, I wonder if he could see. And then from there, I was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely the case. Didn't that's even need good. any convincing. So obviously, Stevie Wonder can see. But that sounds like just a smart strategy on Coke. And I love that we get that side of the stuff. You yeah. get the like, how do we keep marketing this? Like, how are people going to. And that's when we enter. Honestly, he may be my favorite. As a guy who gets actual leading man roles. We're talking actor. Actor. Yeah. Michael Moriarty. Moriarty, yeah. Uh, an, a true... Brought him up briefly during It's Alive, but uh-huh. but yeah, he is the star of this film. He is a true, unique individual and an acclaimed actor. I mm-hmm. mean, he has been Golden Globe nominated. He's won Emmys. He's been nominated for tons more Emmys. Tony Awards. Like an actual acclaimed actor who is just an obvious weirdo. <laughs> I mean, you think a, he's just really a weirdo, or do you think he's just uh, uh, a method actor who who gets weird when he goes into that? I mode? think all method actors are weirdos, that, well, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's that right. I think that's you know just who they are. <laughs> I think yeah. they get into method acting because they're freaking weirdos. Yeah, and he goes because he gets so lost in these odd dudes, Michael Moriarty, and he's an, a weirdly imposing guy. You can tell he's got to be 6'4", 6'5". He's mm. a really tall guy because he, he just towers above everything Dude, else he's in this 6'4". movie. 6'4". 6'4", there you wow. go. One of Hollywood's tallest actors. Yeah. So I, 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 I kind did of not like, notice that. Yeah. I, well, oh, 
when he was standing next to Garrett Morris, it was like he had a ventriloquist dummy. I just assumed Garrett Morris was super like four short. Foot six. Yeah, I was like that guy's clearly five three. <laughs> but I, I always, I always kind of, I find myself weird. I am not a super tall guy. I'm five ten. So I'm I'm yeah. a pretty average height guy. You're a little you're taller. You're uh, six. I'm uh, six one and three quarters. Ooh, oh god! Sometimes so I tell people six two. We'll see. You could round to six two. I feel bad. I'm sure by now I'm probably five nine and a half. Oh, you think so? I, I Those stretching exercises to, have been paying off. Well, I've noticed fan- oh, yeah shrinking. My parents shrinking has given me a false sense of giantism. Oh, that's because my dad and I used to be the same height. Mm-hmm. And now in family photos, we're like four inches different. Oh wow! <laughs> so it's like oh, your dad man, might I want to get that checked out. Like, know, <laughs> old people get smaller, man. Especially kind of are his ears uh, staying the same size though? Like they're getting bigger, <laughs> but it's turning, really his head just. He's shrinking. turning more into a mutant. Actually. Oh good. Uh, but uh, so Moriarty's this tall dude, and I always find myself kind of drawn to tall actors because mm. they have they're hard to match up with a woman because they don't want a romantic lead to be a foot and a half shorter. Yeah, you, know, you need a close-up yeah. of yeah. this couple. And <laughs> you so, don't want the guy leaning over the whole time. Yeah, so that's why you get a lot of, you know, average or short guys in leading roles. You know, Tom Cruise or in the 80s, Sylvester Stallone. They're all these five-foot-six guys because they pair easily. Hmm. But then all your tall guys always get the leftover kind of offbeat roles that they can't give to the classically right. normal height. So you get guys like Jeff Goldblum, or Tim Robbins, you know, uh, John Cusack. Guys mm-hmm. that are like 6'3 to 6'5 that you can't match up in a normal role. So they kind of get to play cool characters. And Michael Moriarty is just, he's a genius. He is he, the coolest. He's um, so hes so if, weird and so confident yeah. in his weird. Yeah, if you only know him as, uh, he played a DA on the early seasons of Law and yeah, Order. Yeah, the first four Flex. seasons yeah. or so before he quit. Well, he's in... pretty much a straight man in that. You know, he's a uh-huh. DA. But he's um, good. He's a good, smarmy yeah. DA. He's a he's a great part of those seasons. He those is. were the best years of, of Law and Order. But I don't know if he, he doesn't necessarily get to kind of let loose like he does in these Larry Cohen movies. Well, um, you know there's a reason that he loves doing them. Like he had a, yeah. to love these kind of weirdos. And again, weirdos. like it's alive. It's good writing. Larry Cohen is a good writer. He's really good at uh, getting the character fleshed out and yeah. giving them a kind of a, a well-roundedness that you don't see in this one he plays david mo rutherford mo rutherford and he's got a great story about that that nobody reacts that to. no one cares about which i love so you it's kind of like the joker in uh the dark knight trying to like give his uh, little back story of but he changes it but this one you know he, that's his thing he's always breaking the ice going people uh I, what is it even he you wants know, mo he yeah. wants mo he wants mo and everyone's you know like why yeah, they, great. Why they call me mo <laughs> uh, i always want mo and everyone's like mm-hmm, okay uh-huh, cool so the business cool, cool, cool. at hand is <laughs> yeah so let's get back to the meeting that but we all agreed on he is a uh spy and oh, uh an, an industrial spy. industrial spy that's a what former I was to think of. A, a disgraced fbi agent such, fired in uh, in dishonor such a cool character who now base, basically blackmails and does underhanded corporate espionage yeah, not not enough industrial spies no. in the world too many james bond spies and jason bournes and assassins that we don't need we need these industrial getting shit done spies Dude, this in is movies. we talked about how forward thinking and uh 
you know, ripped from today's headlines, weirdly enough, uh, It's Alive was. Right. You could honestly view Moriarty's character in this movie as the same kind of shitheel lobbyists mm-hmm. that are clogging up our government now. These kind of slimy, backstabbing weasels right. just representing horrible people as long as they can pay their fee. Mm-hmm. And he plays that, but he's weirdly the good guy, but also he does bad things. Yeah, uh, uh, he's in it for the money, you know. He's uh, he's Han Solo. Yeah, but uh, exactly. He, yeah, he gets the heart <laughs> of gold, you know. Uh, later on, but he has got one of the great. Like all you need to know about this character is the line where uh, he he first shows up and he's negotiating with this company because oh they God. they want the formula for the stuff, right? This is a competing company. His date his. Oh, his, intro scene in this his movie. intro they're on a boat he's uh he's just going he, he's yeah. <laughs> shaking everyone's hand oh. calling out the sweaty, sweaty palms palm. oh got another sweaty, sweaty palm, palm. Oh, there's uh, hello sweaty palm i was dying so so perfect and then someone uh, he's the says, coolest uh, guy in the room and he's immediately oh, yeah. pointing out the people that are like nervous yes and, exactly. but he's doing so in such a confident just above everybody else way yeah like the guy has He's he's almost Chris Elliott in that unearned <laughs> confidence kind of guy. How Chris Elliott's just the most confident right. guy ever, who has never earned a minute of it. Whereas Michael Moriarty's a guy who I think he earns commands it. respect, yeah. but he's the same kind of ass. I think he genuinely earns it. And and uh, the the guy says, "I don't think you're as uh, dumb as you appear." Oh my gosh! And, this line. Uh, his line to him was, "Nobody." Is as dumb as I appear. Yeah, right? nobody's as dumb as I appear. Uh, with just all the confidence <laughs> in the world and just the the. It's like Oscar Wilde spoken by a hick it's or beautiful. something. It yeah. was such a. Um, I almost want to think that Larry Cohen well, thought of this he's, line. He's like a Texas guy. This uh-huh. mo, you know, he's got the boots on. He's kind of playing it, but I think he is also supposed to be Southern or, or yeah from from Texas. He definitely has that. Um, seersucker suit wearing southern lawyer yes kind of talk to him exactly which is so and silly. charm <laughs> yeah he has no charm yet somehow people oh I, are, he charmed the pants off of me i thought he was incredible but everybody kept like i like this guy and i was like i would this guy seems like a red flag every time he opens his mouth i wouldn't go into business with mo rutherford um but dude that opening scene unbelievable and that's we had seen the stuff uh, a few years ago mm-hmm. in on one of our movie days and i'm a huge moriarty guy uh i think he's incredible yeah not just his horror work which he always puts so much work into these roles like we watched q in our movie group which is yeah. another incredible method performance where he's a con man junkie mm-hmm. and oh that whole s- scene where he's negotiating uh, with him in that boardroom, and he's looking in the mirror and adjusting his ugly, ripped suit. Like, goddamn, the guy offers so many. Yeah, he's pretty acclaimed for, for that for that performance in Q, especially. But I think uh, you know this one. Maybe he doesn't have quite as many layers uh, as sure. he, as he does in the junkie role. But uh, he is just so great in this movie, and he takes it upon himself to find out what the stuff is. And yeah. uh, you know, that's the adventure that you're on. And you also have this 12-year-old kid who doesn't like this stuff, and you kind of forget about him until he goes eat yeah. shit in a supermarket, oh, destroys man. every this container just, of the stuff oh. he can find. This kid is, is uh, 
he is going to be like a, a an industrial terrorist. He is. He's the kid life. that's like set like setting fires to used car lots. Exactly. That, uh, have bad practices or something. And kind of like how it's alive. No one seems to handle a baby. It took three grown men to subdue this twelve year old boy yeah. who is destroying the supermarket, <laughs> including supermarket employee Eric Bogosian, <laughs> in a weird. In a weird wordless cameo. Yeah. <laughs> like, just tackling a child. Oh, man. I love once the kid starts wrecking the stuff and just yeah. ripping it out of it. And the stuff is, it's so great the way it's just in the yogurt aisle. Mm-hmm. And then, they, but there's so many end displays. And there, it's like, you can tell it's like the most popular product already because it's everywhere in this market. And the kids running around. Knocking them off shelves with a baseball bat yeah. <laughs> and breaking freezer cases to like wreck the stuff. And what you get one supermarket employee who looks over and he's just like, Oh, oh god damn it. Like, oh, yeah, they're trying to protect the big display they just put up. Yeah, uh, a huge pyramid stack of the stuff that the kid gets. Uh, I almost wish like it was one of those moments where I was like, Man, I wish I was as passionate about anything mm. as that kid is about destroying the stuff. The kid really went 0 to 60 into <laughs> environmental terrorism. He really He does. went from seeing the stuff moving in his fridge and then his then telling his parents like, "Yeah, I don't yeah, think he's like don't eat it." He's yeah. like, "I don't think you guys should eat that stuff." And they're like, "Oh, this stuff's great." Um and then next scene he's just like, "I need to destroy all the stuff." <laughs> like it was just like he got a little bit of pushback on the mm-hmm. stuff and he was already just just as that dude was all in on eating the stuff after finding oozing out of a crack in the earth. Yeah. This kid was like, I'm going to wreck everything of stuff. <laughs> like he was already, he was looking for a reason. This yeah. kid, give me a reason. People give me are, a reason to wreck all the stuff. People go to the extremes in this movie. Uh, yeah. In all the best ways. No, it's uh, yeah. So we kind of are following both of these stories. Right. And uh, obviously they, they meet up at some point, but, yeah, it's Moriarty just, uh, and the kid. Yeah, Moriarty and the kid. But but first, Moriarty meets up with uh, you. Brought up Garrett Morris. Yeah, as Chocolate Chip Charlie. Chocolate Chip Charlie. Uh, only Chocolate Charlie in the credits. I yeah, want to say, which as was a Chocolate mis- Charlie. That's a mistake. That sounds it somehow because somehow, it, because it was very much Chocolate Chip. Oh, Charlie. he made he he announced several his times. He spoke in the third person yeah. like he was Ricky Henderson. He was, but yeah, so he's supposed to be you know the Willy Wonka of cookies. Yeah, suddenly in the, the credits made us feel vaguely racist when they're like, <laughs> yeah, Chocolate Charlie. There was the some only weird racist in stuff in this in this movie. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll get to the weird, <laughs> the unexpected turn. You talk about Cohen movies going yeah. a direction we don't expect. <laughs> Holy God, the final, the third act of the stuff. Yep. But so Moriarty is, like I said, an acclaim. We've talked about his actual impressive awards that he's won. Mm-hmm. And he is such a powerful actor. I know you and I, weirdly, the first thing we talked about him in was the last detail. Oh, yeah. Home with Jack Nicholson and, you know, transporting yeah. military criminal Randy Quaid. He, he's, a, he's a baby in that one. And Ironside plays like kind of a desk work sergeant. Mm-hmm. And it's such a four minute role that could be nothing, but he has this like this confidence and this kind of dickheadedness, but also a guy who's kind of right. This attitude about him that he's a tough guy to look away from in a scene. He really mm. knows how to play a scene. There's this wonderful movie. Uh, I've. Brought it to a couple of our movie days, but it's never really gotten the votes. Uh, called "Who'll Stop the Rain," 
and it's from the late 70s mm-hmm. and moriarty plays kind of an unwitting drug mule hmm. he's like a vietnam photographer who gets okay. sent back with drugs and then has to go on the lam when a group is after him for these drugs and it's got a great cast nick nolte tuesday weld uh richard mazer as uh, one of the one of the guys coming after these drugs and moriarty has just this such a wounded weenie of a guy who's also in over his head and doesn't know how to get at and that was kind of the the, the role that really was like man this guy is good hmm. this guy is awesome then to find out he did just nothing but genre work in the whole 80s was a true gift well, and now we've seen a lot of it and like i said he was on broadway i'm sure kind of like it's alive um you know he probably developed a relationship with larry cohen in new york at mm-hmm. some point yeah uh, probably did, you know maybe maybe just brought him in for Q and that's kind of where it starts. But for him to be in several Larry Cohen movies, obviously they work well together. Yeah. Um, I, he gets I, it. He's a guy. He that does. Gets he can, it. It's it's definitely a Kyle you know? McLaughlin with David Lynch thing where mm-hmm. they're like it's a perfect partnership. These two get what the other one wants out of them. Right. And I it's it's a real favorite. It, it's it's a, a movie can really worm its way into my into my my heart by having an accomplished actor not look down on genre material mm-hmm. uh, an, an actor that goes into a horror movie and maybe they know it's kind of a dog of a movie and they used to get better parts than this but they aren't going to let that show they aren't going to be the ones to just half-ass a movie somebody like rory calhoun in motel hell Oh, totally. You right. know, I mean, that guy was That's a, a pretty extreme example. To, yeah, but, well, yeah. he was a Western star. Yeah. And a weirdly one of the most famous Simpsons references. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but Motel Hell, that could have been trash. That could have been a garbage movie. But man, Farmer Vincent, Rory Calhoun just owns it. You mm-hmm. look at Chuck Connors in. Um, That's the one I was going to say, Tourist Trap. Tourist right? Trap. Yeah. That guy was one of the biggest TV stars of the 50s and 60s. I mean, two of the biggest westerns ever. And then he's this weird tourist trap owner in Tourist Trap and he treats it exactly like he treated every episode of The Rifleman. And yeah. it makes this it elevates this genre stuff so much. I was thinking of uh, George C. Scott oh, in yeah. movies like The Changeling which I watched recently and, mm-hmm. and uh, George C. Scott in Exorcist, Exorcist 3. Three. He's great, great in Exorcist 3. Yeah. Exorcist 3 has George C. Scott and Brad Dorif, mm, who are mm-hmm. both Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning actor, you know, and act- respectively. Right. And they are just treating The Exorcist 3. You know, anytime there's a 3 behind a movie, <laughs> what are the odds? What are the right. odds that this one's going to crush? <laughs> and they're treating it like it's a movie they could get an Oscar for. And that's what Moriarty does in these Larry Cohen movies. And God, I wish he got an Oscar for an Oscar nomination for Q, the winged serpent. Cause he was amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it really is one of those, uh, you gotta see Q just to watch this guy. I, I feel like he's, he, uh, that character is someone that probably influenced, you know, Quentin Tarantino. And, oh and, gosh. In, in, Good point. The character himself, just the way he's acting and the way he's talking, Jimmy. how real Jimmy he is. Con. And, uh, yeah, this guy that he plays Mo is, uh, you know, very much just, uh, someone maybe a Coen Brothers would have seen and, and yeah. hooked on to as kind of the smart-mouthed 
you know, I think this is a same time as Blood Simple. Or it, like it's almost like <laughs> this the other side of the coin of of M. M. It's Walsh. A, it's a know? oh, it's wow. You know, I hadn't really it's, kinda, it's, sleazy, it's a goofier, sleazy version of uh, yeah, or of, that that kind of a character. Sure, you know? um, it's uh, I hadn't really thought about it until seeing just kind of soaking in moriarty in the stuff <laughs> you're soaking in it. i'm soaking basting in that guy's acting yeah um it really hit me because we back to back especially with it's alive we were suddenly seeing three hours of larry mm. cohen stuff and you talked about how strong the writing is how yeah. unexpectedly strong and when i was watching moriarty in particular it was reminding me of like an elmore leonard character and you said Tarantino, who's yes. adapted a you know some Elmore Leonard stuff. Yes, but he Mo Rutherford felt straight out of an Elmore Leonard book, and it made me realize, oh, Larry Cohen's just like a less acclaimed Elmore Leonard. I think, yeah, I think that uh, is well put, and I think it's not ri- something I'd thought of before yeah, yeah. last night. But the writing too is for me such a uh, specific to film, like it's so good in the show rather than tell you know format mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. A, it's such a uh just the way characters are introduced and and interact with each other you get such a bigger picture than what's on the page yeah um so there you yeah go. you there larry cohen's really smart about um telling you more than you need to know about characters without being so blunt and mm-hmm. heavy about it so you feel like you start to know these people you kind of get where they're coming from you get their motivations and that seems like basic story writing stuff but it gets left behind a lot mm-hmm. and you get an actor like moriarty there was at least a couple moments where i'm like there's no way this was in the script right there's no way you can write some of the weird shit that moriarty does uh-huh and be like and oh you were, yeah, you were saying can... that about garrett morris too you know, well just, specifically so there was the a cuff. scene yeah and garrett morris had to have come up as an improv actor he had to have been a groundling or yeah. second city i assume right if people don't know he was one of the founding uh yeah. cast Inaugural, members on saturday night live uh, yeah and, and back in the and day. is still he was on that show two broke girls Oh yeah, as which was a good role. Yeah, he's for still him. he's still around and working. Absolutely. So he's that guy has been had a quietly durable forty year uh, career, which is cool. And what I like about Garrett Morris in the stuff we had seen the stuff uh, as our group, right? But like we said, I had, I didn't even remember Garrett Morris was in it. <laughs> <laughs> this is when we get together and watch like six movies in a day, mm-hmm. and by the time cocktails are involved. We're all still having a good time, but I'm sure I'm missing 50% of some movies. No matter how positive my impression of the movie is at the end, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure that's what leads to us rewatching some of these and being like, I didn't remember this was so great. Like, right, like I remember the scene where the stuff, there's a scene where the stuff is kind of first exploding and, and it's becoming kind of like the blob and it's yeah. going up the wall and it's on yeah, fire. Yeah. Like you remember that stuff, but yeah, you're not really remembering Garrett Morris. uh Talking about his uh, fists are lethal weapons and and Honestly, breaking Garrett, through doors and and uh, just being that kind of uh, he was very a, fun the weirdest uh, sidekick yeah and honestly it was a it was a role that needed to not be in like you didn't need him could have done entirely without him he he gives nothing to the plot no he has uh, <laughs> nothing to do with any part of this movie even though he's involved in several scenes he's involved yeah. as the guy is like I'm also here. 
though he is he's in- also trying to find out about the stuff right uh-huh. that's all he, he he's like the other you know cookie guy that now he's been driven out of business by the stuff so yeah he's but yeah i think he's just really there for that one great effect he's there he's the there end. for the a big swerve yeah at the end but he's so you got to assume he came up in improv just because that's where all of those inaugural us now sure. and still like probably 80 percent of them come from now um and there were clearly at least two scenes, probably more, where Moriarty and him were just riffing. Mm-hmm. There's no way some of that could have been scripted. Because there was at least two different moments where Garrett Morris stumbles over lines and they just leave him in. Like it's a, totally. like it's a John Waters movie or yeah. something. He's like, ah, it's fine. That's the best take we yeah, got. Yeah, I feel like there was another one maybe even where Moriarty did that too, where he kind of like was talking paused and kind of said it again or yeah, yeah. it was kind of like yeah garrett morris as if was... they're like looking around a room or something i'm, I'm trying yeah. to remember now but yeah very uh like do we not have a time for another take we, yeah okay and so it just but it adds, adds to that realism exactly right? yeah. and so there's a couple moments where i was like moriarty is such a um we're eventually i think we're going to do a whole episode on the background work of john doe <laughs> since john john doe in roadhouse is my favorite yeah background guy with when he's just like scratching his back with the butt of a shotgun and you know swirling a straw it's just like he's such a distracting guy in a scene with no lines in the most pee pants funny yeah. kind of way and moriarty does the same obnoxious hilarious stuff where when it's not his turn to talk he's like kind of inspecting the dude who's talking's coat lapel or he's (laughs) like brushing off some dirt on his jet it's like he's so constant motion (laughs) totally and he's such a scene thief in the funniest way so he's kind of like not as hammy as timothy carey more like a more (laughs) confined timothy carey totally whenever it's the other guy's line he's always just like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh right (laughs) All yeah. right, go on. You got to listen. That's the first thing they'll teach you in improv. You got to listen. listen. He's yes just kind and. of a, he's an overtalker and it mm. was during an era where you didn't really have overtalking in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like Archer, which is great at <laughs> overtalk and characters talking real. Uh but he was doing all that kind of stuff and there was one moment in particular where you started laughing. And it was one of those where like I was trying not to laugh at mm. something he did and then you you gave me the free pass yeah okay he was uh it was towards the end and and one of the characters was like yeah it was crazy and then he was about to tell what happened and moriarty just goes like okay yeah no that's good (laughs) and then just just like immediately he's like no i think i'd rather just talk like no i like the way i said it better he just cuts him off so much in a way that sounded like an actor just walking over somebody else's lines. Like, no, 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 no. Let's, uh, we don't have time to hear that right now. That's one of my favorite things in in uh, conversational comedy like that. When you're just going back and forth and back and forth. And someone's like, just, just shut up. For a yeah, just sh- shut up. okay, everybody please. Everybody shut up. Just and yeah, he did that. And you did your, I really, this is one of my favorite things when watching movies with you. Uh, occasionally something like that'll happen and it's unexpected and you'll do a <laughs> I, <laughs> like what i, I blurt yeah i do a much, yeah it was a like a, a blurt a blurt yeah and so once you did that then because i had heard the exact same almost thing a as guffaw. you did it's almost a guffaw it is like it's more of a <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds like uh probably probably pretty annoying as fake people. as somebody saying like 
a chew. <laughs> like, nobody says that, but it is yeah. an actual reaction of <laughs> this sharp, like, sound emitting because you were surprised by the weirdness of something. Yeah. The, the, the stuff is got a weird score that I think fits it properly. And, you know, I'm a score guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I'd never heard of the name. I don't even remember it now. But it was a cool, kind of captured the kind of zaniness, but also had a little bit of heft. Because they were uncovering this big conspiracy that obviously went deeper than they realized. Right, And exactly. the stuff became more and more addictive. And they really did a cool job of uh, showing how fast the stuff can consume somebody's life. Yeah, it takes over your mind and, and it makes you addicted to it. And then we see at the end that it, once it uh, has fully, I, I'm not really even sure really what it's doing. It's consuming you, yeah, I guess, from the inside. You, yeah, and then it kind of it makes a, we its escape. We don't know the motivations yeah. on the stuff. We don't really, it, you know. And in that moment, uh, at the end, we see what it, it its effect does, and it kind of turns them into like the thing, where yeah. these uh, people start um, just you know dismorphine and, mm-hmm. and uh, the you see Garrett Morris. Uh, specifically, uh, kind of his his mouth opens up wide and so, but it That's has one this of the, moment of like the thing where it's like now it's got to escape and hide in a di- or or move somewhere else. Or. That effect uh, when Chocolate Chip Charlie. Also, before we go, thank you for giving him his full name. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what's so weird to me, Chocolate Chocolate Chip Charlie sidebar story. Yep. Is we watch this movie together. We're a bunch of jokesters. We're a bunch of funny people in our movie laugh. group. We love to laugh. We love yeah. to have fun. How did we not immediately start calling you Chocolate Chip Charlie? I nobody nobody none of us there watching it last night had any memory of that nickname. Of that even name yeah existing. And I don't it know. seems like that would have been a thing we would have from the moment the movie finished, you would have then be every movie day dubbed Chocolate Chip Charlie. Well, and, and suddenly we're like, maybe it's because I'm about as vanilla as it comes. He's, and, uh, he's seem, so vanilla. Would be inappropriate. It's yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so so French uh, vanilla. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I I feel like I've been seeing a lot of movies with Charlie in them uh, yeah, lately. We've seen it's a like, lot together. Uh, uh, somebody in it's it's alive is named Charlie, the, uh-huh. the family friend, right? And yeah. It's like, man, there's a lot of Charlies going we've around watched, right now. I think you and I I'm together have watched five different Charlie movies. <laughs> without that being, you had a. That was like a great movie theme yeah. that you just got ripped from you because we just oh, saw man. tons of these Charlie We've seen them movies. all now, yeah. Yeah, I don't hear a lot of Eric's. Eric's a super common name. There's not tons of... Way too common. Outside of <laughs> Prince Eric and the Little Mermaid, there's not a ton of good Eric yeah. characters. But Charlie, hmm. everybody loves a Chuck. Got there's it. Charlie's all over the place. <laughs> and speaking of that... The third act of the stuff, where we take a crazy detour into a Vietnam allegory. Yes, we do. What? Uh, Somehow in his uh, industrial espionage, Michael Moriarty, former FBI agent, now turned spy, uh, knows like a crazy militia general out in the boonies of georgia or something where, where yeah where, where are they deep in it's like where the walking well, because, dead's filled well you know because coca-cola is based in atlanta uh-huh. i'm wondering if they're even going there but yeah he comes across paul sorvino uh well, best, best known as a goodfellas uh actor yeah but uh yeah I, 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 remind me how he even comes across this dude and, and how we get from um, we jump spying around on corporations to full militia action i'll be honest 
I'm going to be, if I can be frank with you for I'll, just a moment. I'll be Charlie. Putting all jokes aside. Yes. There were several moments of this movie where I'm like, I am not sure who these people are getting paid to do <laughs> work for. Yes. I'm not sure who they're working for, nor am I sure who they're working against. It was more just me watching Michael Moriarty for like oh, 90 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Do- doof his way around through scenes. He does. But the... he doesn't doof it any better than when he <laughs> convinces the militia not to shoot him. And he just walks up into this compound. Yeah. He's... And, and within 30 seconds convinces Paul Sorvino to join his group. You know, yeah. Michael it's Moriarty. Crazy. Michael Moriarty's character is this guy who feels like a fantastical uh, hostage negotiator. Mm-hmm. Where instead of him on the like walkie-talkie being like, you shouldn't do this, he's like waltzing into the hostage room, just being like, hey guys, right? We're all humans here. It's like shining an apple on his uh, yeah, right? on his shirt, just casually eating a red delicious. <laughs> it's just like, what the, who is this negotiating guy? for hostages? Look, man, yeah, look. You're not going to get anything from shooting these people. Just let them go. Like, who's this guy? Even even in the movies, uh, when he rescues the kid, he's like, hey, sometimes you got to eat shaving cream. You know, he's just got a he's got a line for everything. He's got nothing a, phases him. He, nothing. Like, he never sounds like kilter. he's speaking in one liners because he does nothingly nothing but exclusively speak <laughs> in one liners. Yeah, the whole it's movie whole vocabulary. The the stuff is this crazy brain controlling substance and so you get these uh him being this combination uh guy who's trying to find out what the competition's up to versus Mm -hmm. guy who's also maybe needs to stop what's going on you get one of my favorite kind of horror movie uh sci-fi tropes which is the guy exploring a seemingly abandoned small town Mm. think of like halloween three right when tom atkins goes looking for the mystery behind this mask company. And that's what you get when Michael Moriarty's like, huh, the stuff was originally found in this town. And he goes to this town, which is now like a shell of itself. A gas station, and then the gas station guy just runs off into the woods. (laughs) Yeah, it's the town that, uh, one of the towns before Springfield that had the monorail. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the monorail Og- wrecked... Uh, Ogdenville. Ogdenville. North Haverbrook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, any of them. Yeah. The monorail just decimated <laughs> these towns, and uh, he shows up to this town in Virginia that's just no nothing left of it except a post office and one general store gas station. Mm-hmm. And I love those kind of, uh, oh, nobody comes around these parts no more ever since the big factory ever went away. Ever since the stuff opened up. Yeah, ever since the stuff got so big. I love, I live for that kind of moment totally. in a movie. Like, ooh, a small town with a secret? That's well, my favorite thing in these movies. Then, then the thing that I live for that I love in this movie is when Moriarty comes up to this general and is telling him about the stuff. Oh my gosh. And the general immediately goes, those bastards, those yeah. sons of bitches. Paul Sorvino has just, such an he's, agenda. He's just so on board and all of a sudden this army is moving out to take over the factory where the stuff is being produced and the scariest thing that happens to me in this movie, if I'm someone on the street at least when this happens, uh-huh. is the militia coming in in yellow taxis with yeah. guns blazing. No real direct order like they all of a sudden, if you're walking down the street and thirty dudes in like army fatigues in yeah. taxis get out and start making their way towards you, that I, that would be yeah, the scariest gr- thing you could possibly. We get a imagine. great scene where, yeah, Paul Servino. So Paul Servino, who 
what he's a oscar nominated actor right he's very acclaimed uh yeah oh his uh, character in casino the heroin addicted uh past his prime mm. club singer you know oh yeah yeah that's yeah. such a powerful performance and in this movie he's such a goof but he's the one thing where he's playing a slightly different note than anybody else michael moriarty knows he's in schlock but like kind of raises the material mm-hmm. paul paul sorvino's kind of more just like i'm in a shit picture and i'm going to do whatever i you know he's definitely more of a weird like buffoon and it's an odd character cuz it there is no warning that this movie is going to be about Vietnam all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this movie feels like, oh, yeah, it's a commentary on consumerism. It's commentary on drug addiction. And, it's... oh, no, now we're also going to just dump on our stupid involvement in Vietnam, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I mean, out of nowhere, like, you know, it's been... It's got a lot of things to say. Yeah, it really felt Larry like Cohen him just does. being... It felt like fifth season of The Wire where David Simon's just like, I'm really going to take down the journalism industry. Yeah. And it's just like Larry Cohen's like, Anything that I've ever had a gripe with, I am taken down in the stuff. It is, yeah. So yeah, Michael Moriarty, you mentioned his conversation where he talks his way into a militia leader's castle. He does. A literal castle. Yes. Dude lives in a a high-towered castle. And Michael Moriarty's up there just bullshitting him on a castle balcony mm-hmm. and paul sorvino does this great thing where he's like you know i can just throw you right off this balcony <laughs> you would and i love this this is a great little larry cohen detail where paul sorvino then threatens the shove uh-huh. and then kind of looks down and goes you would land about there yeah <laughs> like just points to a, a spot about 15 feet away from the castle tower and that's such a fun little and then michael moriarty the balls on this dude <laughs> he's like yeah no you could kill me and then he did you notice he then sits up on the ledge mm. to make himself easier to be pushed just to show how little of a this of a damn he gives give, yeah. he just goes like oh this ledge right here yeah i'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit right on there he's, he's calling people's bluff the to entire make myself movie. yeah that's yeah. all he does yeah he he just calls everybody <laughs> he always has the ace that's why he would be such a great hostage negotiator, because yeah. he would be calling that, that gunman's bluff. Total legend. Oh, I mean, 100%. Dude, this, this guy is the most legendary genre dude. So then, yeah, the, Paul Sorvino and his weird, kind of unexplained militia. We don't totally know never what really, their ethos yeah. is. Again, how they're operating legally. Yeah. You never really get any We've of that. We've never heard their story. But uh, they're going to destroy the stuff. They, they, they're anti-communist. Yeah, he hates communists. They're vaguely racist. Kind of like directly racist. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's some that outright. Was the, that was the one where it's like, oh, in one line, they kind of get rid of any likability of this Paul of, yeah, of this character, dude. you know? It's they like, even do. I don't like you now. So what's crazy? I kind of don't like you now. I, kinda, I can't believe they did this, because <laughs> this, this felt a little heavy for a Larry Cohen, even though it was still amusing, just because of the weird... Un- like I said, even when we meet the military people... I'm not thinking, ah, Vietnam. Right. This is Nam. There's a straight line where Paul Servino is kind of this comic general. And he's like telling the kid, the kid who we brought up 30 minutes ago, we kind of treated him the same way the movie treats him. Yeah. <laughs> this kid straight vanishes from the movie for the most part for 40 minutes. He tags along, but he really doesn't do anything. He's trapped in a tanker truck yeah, for half true. of this movie. Yeah. 
And even before that, Michael Moriarty just leaves him on an airplane and be like, "Yeah, we'll be back in about five or six hours." Yeah, what was that? It's like, <laughs> it's like, all right, if we're not back in three hours, take this kid to a different airport. Like, yeah. what? He leaves him with some pilot. They flew into a so private weird. private airstrip and just like, all right, well, you got enough stuff to occupy you for uh, the next half a day. So funny. And so yeah, so basically, this kid's just on his own, not important to the plot for half the movie yeah. and the kid comes back for more of the third act and paul Servino's like quit you know don't question my logic the u.s has never lost a war and then the kid brings the movie to a screeching halt with well what about vietnam what about vietnam and the room in the theater was just like three words that can derail your whole thing yeah what about you're having this great vietnam your great thanksgiving dinner <laughs> where you're like all your families come into town yep. you got some friends over and you're having a great time and suddenly you pop that next bottle of like chardonnay and you're like what about vietnam you yeah, guys what about vietnam <laughs> yeah have we really finished talking about vietnam because i have some stuff to say in this movie 1985 was like, nah, we were in the shit. We're like, what happened in the <laughs> well, third we, act of the stuff all of a sudden? And then Paul Servino, yeah, we lost that war at home. Yeah. Very, suddenly, like, not a joke, like, suddenly not a joke like response. A, suddenly it's like a movie that it's really... It's all of a sudden like an Oliver Stone Yeah. Like, uh, suddenly it's like coming home or born on the 4th of July. <laughs> yep. Stuff just turns into a, like, we really let our veterans down. You know, we really turned our back on these heroes. Once, the, And it's like, what is happening in this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Suddenly the 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 sails got let out of the room a little bit with how yeah. how hard the stuff started hitting. But we even get this is the moment where it boils down to where it's like, all right, let's die, let's dial back on the nom, yeah, the nom memories when all of the workers that work at the oh. quarry that that the stuff is just we get a great shot of the stuff. Just in this bubbling volcano pit. Yeah. It's in like a rock quarry. It's just bubbling out of the ground. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure if we're ever told of its origins. No, we don't get or, a stuff origin story. Like, I feel like some people assume it's alien in nature because of the blob and, and because of it. That's implied. But I don't really, you never really get but that. But no character actually says that it's alien. Yeah. We're just you given. Don't, you never see a thing fall to the sky no. and then the stuff is We're down. only given visual cues that like, oh, it bursts into a room the same way the blob right. bursts into a room. But all, and you get all people that are just like, look, we don't know where it comes from. We just, we, we they just don't love know, how. They don't care. We yeah. just love the profits. <laughs> and so we get this big, <laughs> money, money, money. Bub- yeah, this big <laughs> bubbling tar pit of white goo. Mm-hmm. And all the workers who are just spend their evenings filling the tanker trucks filled with the stuff. Yep. Are all wearing these yellow hazmat suits. And at one point, the stuff murders all of them because the stuff gets inside of you and it eats out your insides and then just bursts out of you. Yeah. It, and it finished with them. Paul Sorvino and his military crew come in on him and make a comment about look like all the yellow, uh, look at all the yellow dead uh, yeah, what's bodies. He, does and, he just say yellow bellied or, but he's, yeah, it's like yellow. It's very clearly. And then we pan and they're all yellow. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like, oh my God, are they still stuck in Saigon yeah. over here? Like what is happening to this movie? <laughs> it's a total like weirdly like we should have never been there mm-hmm. stance from a movie that had just been about a white goo yeah but but also just like yeah it kind of makes sense in this movie 
we what we haven't talked about and a way where we said it's alive had no real moments of levity mm-hmm. no comedic breaks we get at least three different tv commercials yes. in the stuff kind of like robocop suddenly button in with the i'll buy that for a dollar exactly. commercial that just puts you into the time frame we get actual tv ads for the stuff that just blurred in to the movie mm-hmm. with great b-list celebrity cameos uh abe vigoda abe vigoda <laughs> yeah there's a great commercial suddenly and the the jingles are catchy as hell the can't catchy get enough of that stuff it's it, it would have worked and actually i was very hungry after the end of this oh movie. man i was like this if the messages don't eat the stuff I was not getting that message because I was, yeah. I, hate, I, I went home and had like ice cream out of the pint yeah, container. I, I'll be honest. I hate how much I wanted to eat the stuff. <laughs> I hate how badly I wanted to eat yeah. that stuff, baby. Yeah. But we get these commercial ads with these great jingles. And there's like a, you know, you get all ranges of the ads. So you get the cool, like the Gogurt ad mm-hmm. where the kid is like, some kids eating like, lame ass yogurt with a spoon <laughs> and the gogurt kid comes up on shitty rollerblades yep. like glurping a gogurt right. just, just like down in a gogurt just like oh hey somebody still eats yogurt like a chump oh, you need a utensil Ugh. oh i can just blow it on the go i can just go- like take a shot of this yogurt right yogurt down my neck go disgusting and so there's a hip like break dancing ad yes for for the stuff where everybody's like hip dancing hip-hop dancing and there's like a background jingle that's a little more like street but it's like genuinely what coca-cola and pepsi ads oh, were yeah. in the 80s especially pepsi with the taste of a new generation oh, sure stuff we're hip it, uh, you know those ads were just so so blatantly just like yeah people dancing in the street and you, yeah, you get great. And then the money shot of the soda, you know, being poured, or, or yeah, it's, it, same thing. Yeah, you get the the great filming of a commercial where they have models on a runway, mm-hmm. like eating oh, spoonfuls yeah, yeah. of the stuff, and they're while they're wearing bikinis and fur coats, and it's such a great satire on the you know advertising game. But the jingles, as we saw in the credits, they had a a guy specifically writing the jingles. Oh yeah, because there was the score by whoever did the score, but then Stuff Jingles creator, like they actually hired clearly a commercial ad man oh, yeah. to write these stupid, catchy songs that just played throughout the it movie. It was worth it. It was definitely worth it. And it was it was just such a smart way to handle the product and put us into their universe, mm-hmm. their situation. Exactly. But the Abe Vigoda one was the first celeb in that one yeah that one appearance. was like is that a pagoda <laughs> yeah. and then the brilliantly they used the where's the beef lady yeah. where's the stuff to say where's the stuff and it's what like a... man if you if you don't know the 80s or or that campaign yeah that that one might go over your head but yeah they we might as well were, just had we were loving had it. alf just gulp on the stuff yeah, and be exactly. like yo or like, like oh. a like a avoid the noid type character or something <laughs> yeah right? Yeah. yeah, they didn't have a stuff <laughs> spokesman, they which felt yeah, like a they, missed they opportunity. They didn't have like the red dot, like seven. Uh, oh seven yeah, up the spot character. dot with the, yeah. with the Oakley shirt. They needed something like that. Yeah, yeah it was missing that kind of human uh, or uh, mascot kind yeah. of character. You needed your Joe Camel or your, uh, you know. But yeah, like you said, the the where's the beef lady? Talk about the best kind of time capsule mm-hmm. reference. A, a a reference that was only valid. For one 
15-month period, specifically in the States, that was just ubiquitous yeah. with a brand for a long time and such a perfect casting choice. And Abe Vigoda, the camera kind of pans back, and Abe Vigoda and the Where's the Beef Lady, forgetting her name. God I bless her. Nobody. Yeah. God bless her. God bless her. She um, she liked beef. She loved it. She <laughs> loved the beef and she loved but the stuff. But it's like it was almost like a like how a parody movie, you know, like a, a naked gun movie would have like some current reference, mm-hmm. you know, that that only the theater audience would get. Like I yeah, I love that. It was obviously so made cool. to be seen in the theater. And it's Abe Vigoda and this uh, Where's the Beef Lady out at a very nice restaurant. Oh yeah. And uh, she's wearing her Sunday best and he's in like a classic barney miller brown suit you know looking like Abe pagoda and she's not enjoying her dinner mm-hmm. and he's like what's the problem with the dinner and she's like i just where's the stuff where's the stuff like she just would rather be at home eating the stuff and it's like oh man now we're getting the evolution of celebrity endorsed stuff commercials it was gorgeous and then in the credits uh it said it even had a special cameo listing for like you know, for the commercials, for the, right, the yeah. stuff commercials, and then it had Brooke Adams, who you brought up earlier. She was in the '70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, perfect! With Donald Sutherland, she was the female lead. Got and it. I'm like, what? Brooke Adams wasn't in mm-hmm. this movie. Boom! We get hit with the post credits Brooke Adams post credits commercial, commercial. beating the MCU to it <laughs> by 35 years. Yeah. Uh, not not common practice in no, 85 even, to have even a post-credits a, joke, right? Beating Ferris Bueller I was gonna say, yeah. to the post-credits joke punch. I think we know where Ferris got it from. Oh, that that yeah. I have a bit that I do. <laughs> oh, boy. Because of the oh, Ferris geez. Bueller show, <laughs> you know, at the end of the credits being like, what are you still doing here? Uh-huh. Get out of here. Whenever I see a movie that's tough, you know, like <laughs> The Road. Oh, yeah, Or yeah, something yeah. like that. You're, once you're the credits, once the, yeah, <laughs> once the credits start, I'm like, hey, hold on, I want to wait for the uh, <laughs> for the Ferris. I want to wait for the bit at the end. Like, I want to wait to see if Ferris Bueller gives me further instructions. Absolutely, on what to do after after Schindler's List. What if Daniel Plainview just comes out after? Yeah, yeah post credits of There Will Be Blood. Hey, we've had a lot of fun with tonight. the bullet. Oh man. <laughs> I'm George Kennedy. I'm George Kennedy, the wacko. So funny. We'll need to do a wacko episode. Oh, but so we get the post-credits Brooke Adams commercial with her. She had such a great smile and a cute face. And it's her just like, I can't get enough of the stuff. It's oh, so man. much fun that they got all these people. Larry Cohen is such a... It's like he has his plan from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. As much of a... You mentioned earlier... Like, he probably thinks of one idea and just crafts a movie around that. For a guy who seems like he does that, he also seems to know exactly what he wants to say with his stories. Which, I don't think, uh, I don't think he gets that kind of acclaim. Yeah. I think, because of his genre work, I think you look at the titles of his movies and they sound so silly. And I think that's a right. way... The, the one-sentence kind of plot is, you know, killer baby, uh, white goo takes over, you know, giant dragon, uh, yeah. flying creature, you know, terrorizes Manhattan. It's like... All the titles of his movies sound like straight-up trash. Yeah. You get, yeah, cue the winged serpent. There's no good performances <laughs> in the movie that... Any other movie named yeah. that, you know? The Stuff. 
Or you look at, what, in the 90s, original gangsters. Like, mm. every genre that yeah. the guy worked in, just by the title alone, you're like, oh, well, that's garbage. There's no <laughs> way it's going to be respected by a film audience. Mm. I think the first time... Now, he's credited as the writer on, but we know this was all William Lustig's movie, uh, Maniac Cop 2. Mm-hmm. Honestly... The first time I told you, oh, man, there's this great movie. It's called <clears throat> Maniac Cop 2. <laughs> Already, there's nobody that's like, oh, yeah, no, that was a really great movie. Maniac Cop 2, that sounds, that's not going to be a Criterion kind of release. The title alone sounds like the trashiest thing. Stupid exploitation. It's such a good, well-done, smart action movie. Yeah. And all of Larry Cohen's stuff plays like that. It just was never going to get actual respect that it would that should have gotten. Well, we're here to tell you respect the Larry Cohen. Respect it. Give respect Larco Productions. Yeah, Larco Productions. I mean, this guy a, has it all figured out. <laughs> Larco. <laughs> uh, that's probably the episode title, right? Larco. Larco. A tribute to Larco. Uh, I think we I think we're gonna wrap it up there. See the stuff. See it's alive. See all the Larry Cohen movies. Yeah, really, just appreciate these these genre actors and these genre writers who actually treat their material with a little bit of respect, a little respect, a little and class. a lot of fun, and uh, they give you everything you want. And that, yeah. that's what I you know I, I'm I'm not left wanting more no. after after seeing this stuff. It's it's just a wonderful. He Larry Cohen knows his way around a simple ninety minute story. Yes. In a ton of different genres. A real talent, um, a huge con- contribution to my movie fandom. We'll miss him. And yeah, this was this is a, if you're not familiar with Larry Cohen stuff, I cannot think of much better place to start than these two. Absolutely. So do it. Do it. It's come to this. Go watch Larry Cohen. Yeah, tell us how it goes, and uh, we will be back next time, and we'll be talking movies. Love Thank it. Thank God. Thank you. Keep uh, listening, please. Until then, good night.